Tune in to the KPFA video channel for a conversation about the false promise of SimBio and the real solutions right here in our own communities. Speakers will include Joanna Macy, Carla Perez, Doria Robinson, and Scott Yunt in conversation with Dana Pearls of Friends of the Earth. That Sacred Versus Synthetic on the KPFA video channel live April 14th at 7 p.m. from the Impact Hub in Oakland. For more information, visit sinbiowatch.org. And you are listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a stone's throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw Ah, today, today is April the 7th, uh, 2015. Today is the birthday of Billie Holiday. She'd be 100 years old today if she were still with us. My mother was 13 when Billie Holiday was born. When I was born, Billie was 18 or 19 Old enough to be my mom. Our love timelines. Ah, study history. Learn your place in time. Now, Billie Holiday's life was shattered by the times, the age, the environment she lived in. Uh, I try to figure out whether Billie Holiday uh, was one of those who created our own time. Uh, either way, you know, <laughs> we have to admit things, what is that? Uh, it's not dualism. It's just that uh, every time I draw a timeline, I get closer to seeing that all times are the same times. And uh, the degree of separation between people, states, that kind of thing. That's always what I measure by. Anyway, of course, Billie Holiday died too young. Last night, I was watching one of my favorite cable television shows. One of my favorite actors, William Macy. He has the task of... Uh, helping a young woman, a beautiful young woman, helping her to die. She uh, 
She is dying of pancreatic cancer. Now, William Macy is the father in a show called Shameless. Yes, Shameless. Uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, I guess he would be called an alcoholic deadbeat. <laughs> That's what the young woman calls him. Yes, a deadbeat dad. Uh, now, last now, it was the last episode of this season. Uh, William Macy plays Frank Gallagher, this Irish reprobate, I think, a sociopath is about right. Uh, he runs into this beautiful young woman. She's a doctor in the ER where he turns up comatose. Uh, she breaks down at some point and he learns she's dying of cancer and... Uh, so Frank takes it uh, on himself to show her how to live. <laughs> they, what is it? They run amok. Uh, they have quite a ride. She actually outdoes him. Uh, in the end, she swims to China, as we used to say. They're down in uh, Costa Rica. And at one point, he gets up in the morning and... She's gone. She has swum out. And he comes home then. The next uh, scene is Frank walking down the street in Southside Chicago. And he bumps into his sons, a couple of <laughs> boys, yes. <laughs> They're young men with their own problems. And uh, without any preface, he just says, She's gone, boys. She's gone. I thought that was just perfect. Uh, that's happened to me a few times in my life, yes. She's gone. Now, neither of them, of course, knows what the hell he's talking about, but, of course, we do. We all know mortality is always the moral of any story, even our own. Uh, <laughs> I think, what is it, I think... In an effort to be upbeat this week, uh, I I started to think about this business of uh, uh, what is it? It's not animal rights. <laughs> we used to call them the vivisectionists, the people who didn't want us to torture and kill animals in the labs. Uh, something bigger than that seems to be going on today. It's part of our zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Uh, I think it's all about. It's all about human beings beginning to understand, become, what is the word, aware. They have evolving awareness of the world around them, wildlife. They have, of course, anthropomorphic confusion, uh, but they're coming around to a more realistic grasp of the wisdom of the non-humans. Uh, I think, let's see... If you are a TV watcher, you've seen David Attenborough and his beautiful stuff on BBC is the best, and then Animal Planet, and all these wonderful nature shows. Uh, they try some of these shows to explain and uh, uh, help us understand animals in relation to their environment, not as they compare or contrast with us. You know, mostly they eat what they kill. 
<laughs> I dug around for Mark Twain's essay on morality and nature, and I found uh, my favorite tale, Mark Twain's Diary of Adam and Eve, all about Eve and the animals. But, of course, uh, when she, Eve, is at one with all the other animals riding on their soft backs, the tigers and so forth, this is the time before the fall, of course, was the time, you know, when we understood that we and the animals were uh, all one. Anyway, uh, I think that uh, I at least begun, begun to believe that the non-human animals have uh, not just intelligence, and the feelings of humans, but some of them appear to have even more complex uh, systems, sensory systems, right. So many of them can see and hear and smell so much better than we can, <laughs> I guess. I guess uh, our feeling of superiority is all about the brain, uh, I don't think so, though. I think many animals have more nuanced emotions than human beings. I mean, the octopus is downright neurotic. Uh, I think it's only human nature, of course, human nature, for men and women to feel that we are somehow very superior to the other sentient beings because we've got... Uh, language, written language, spoken words, all that assures us that we are special. <laughs> now we find out that, of course, the animals communicate and use what we might call language. Uh, we believe that only humans understand time, past, and future. Of course, we do admit that Mammals at least have a better, a better uh, hold on the present, the present moment, right? Uh, I guess you know people used to think it was uh, kind of kind of dumb to live in the moment. They speak of people, uh, primitive peoples. They said lived in the moment. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think in the past I did believe that women and men, were somehow wiser than the other animals. I think, first of all, because we seem to be able to murder them, I guess is what I want to say. Uh, we could control their lives. Ah, uh, oh, yes, we could slay them. I think... Uh, I don't know whether it's because animals don't conceive of death or because, you know, they don't think it's any of their business. <laughs> I think we are the ones who obsess about dying, about our lives ending of a future without us. It's true that uh, we do seem to dwell on our mortality, our inevitable doom, demise, and extinction. However, I think if you study them you will see that elephants mourn. Uh, watch them. Watch over their dead. Uh, not just relatives. They tend the wounded members of the herd, you know, the injured ones. And, of course, 
the little elephants, children. Uh, I saw something, I think I mentioned it on the air the other day, that just knocked me over. It was uh, scenes, scenes of elephants observing the anniversary of the death of a human, a man who lived among them, a gamekeeper, I think, someone who had studied them, lived most of his life among them. Just astonishing. A herd of elephants came to his home and uh, waited the day that he was dying. They stayed nearby. And uh, what is even more astounding, they returned on the same day, the next year, and so on. Uh, for, I guess, still, I don't know. I can't believe it. It just seems ludicrous. How could they possibly know when it was time? But uh, it's a long walk from where they usually hang out. But apparently, they make the trip every year. Uh, now, I think that we still listen to the scientists and the sentimentalists. And we still continue to confuse all these issues. We, we uh, start trying to teach animals our skills, the sort of things that we think are useful, uh, you know, like how to count and how to, how to parrot our speech. Basically, we train them to do our things, and they're so nice about it. Uh, they, they do seem to understand the rewards we know that uh, they want food mostly, and uh, with our pets, the reward is usually or mostly our approval, our affection. Uh, dogs are sometimes said to be better friends than other human beings, uh, even though we know that hungry canines will eat human beings. <laughs> Should they have the opportunity and the necessity uh, Yes, throw them to the dogs. Uh, seems so practical to me. Anyway, I think the amazing thing is the incredible variation in non-human behavior. Uh, it is true that we learned from the animals. Uh, we begin to understand that there is much more to their, what is that, their knowledge, their uh intuition than we have ever suspected. They have shown us now how deep their feelings are, uh, how much insight and understanding they have. I listened to a story on the radio this past Good Friday. It didn't surprise me as much as it seemed to surprise the men involved. These men rescued a great whale, a hunchback, I think, the biggest species of whale, in any case, this whale was caught in nets, ropes, uh, strung up with uh, lobster traps, I guess. Traps, they said. Uh, anyway, the poor whale was tangled and, uh, what is that, uh, strangled, actually, in these nets and traps, uh, it was a long, long time before these men reached her. They were in a boat. Somebody said that there was a, a whale about 18 miles out to sea, and it took them quite a while to get to her. Uh, they figured she must have been uh, 
suffering for at least a day. Now, the diver who reported this story described the whale as almost vertical in the water, tail pointing to the bottom, the traps hanging and uh, uh, dropping down below the tail. The ropes and nets were around the body all the way up to the eyes. He said that uh, one of the ropes was across the eyes. And when he cut that rope near the eye, the great orb, he said, big as a grapefruit, stared deep into his eyes. Several men worked for more than an hour, he said, uh, with only six-inch knives. Once, he said, he had to cut the flesh of the whale, you know, to, to uh, cut loose the worst snarl near the tail. Uh, the whale, of course, was exhausted, trying to breathe with his head just on the surface of the water. Now, the ropes all fell at once, you know, just dropped off, and the whale took off. The men were in the water congratulating themselves, uh, high-fiving, he said. When the whale returned, the whale returned suddenly, and the diver says he was startled because the whale was coming right, right at him, and then he stopped short, just in front of him, and then nudged him, pushed him a little bit, you know. Uh, the whale did exactly the same thing with all the divers, all the men who were in the water, one by one. Can anyone doubt that the whale was grateful, thankful, thankful for her life? Yes. Even if she wasn't an expert on death, even if she didn't know about mortality, she certainly knew she'd been in agony. Personally, I imagine that uh, sea creatures are pretty hip to death, both death and dying. They may even know how it is that in the sea very little life is wasted. I don't think they think of death exactly. Uh, I mean, at least not in the context in which we see it. Uh, uh, there is decay in the ocean, but it ain't. It ain't what uh, it is on land, as in the wild, actually. Death is food, food for life, as it is both on land and sea. Uh, food for the living. It's only people, you and I, who cling to the remains of the dead. Well, elephants, of course, hold the bones. Yes, elephants hang around the graveyards. They're lost loved ones. I think, yes, we see them fondling the bones, uh, touching what's left of those they lost. Memories are precious. Uh, our rituals and ceremonies seem kind of strange to me. Dignity, dignity. Dignity is comforting, comforting. Uh, you know, a little grace a little grace is nice in the leave-taking, but these days the funeral racket seems just predatory. Uh, as I was leaving home today, I got another call from someone at a crematorium offering me a special. <laughs> I thought about that, and I grabbed my filing 
uh, my files, I went through the filing there, and I, I found an obit. I think I'll give it to our program director, something uh, to say uh, on the chance that, that I depart the scene. I'm 81. Anyway, nature's plan has always made use of the leftovers, you know, the cadavers, the remains of those beings whose spirit has left their bodies of the person or the animal, the soul, if you like, is no longer there. Nobody home. I think symbolic reverence is okay. Maybe it is natural to us because we're so self-conscious, you know. <laughs> People hover around the uh, the coffin saying how natural <laughs> the dead look. Ah, yes. Yes, it is indeed quite natural to be dead. We have all seen animals, yes, mourning and doing it much more creatively than we do. But, of course, too many creatures simply walk away. I have seen that. Uh, oblivious, yes, oblivious to their uh, little offspring dying. We know, you know that humans have done the same back in history. Uh, one of the things that told us that human beings were becoming more civilized, more advanced, was the point at which they started burying their dead, or at least doing something to dignify the the corpse. You know, red ochre, I think, was the big thing there. That's Neanderthals. Anyway, I think that these days we just... Turn on the news. Yes, turn on the news. Pictures of death. Uh, uh -huh. I think of the ways in which the humans desecrate their dead. Uh, few animals go that far. Yes, they use the flesh for food. I guess, yes, some animals do torture. We know that that is true. I think feel... I think those are the same word. I was figuring that out last night, and I finally figured out that what you feel is, sooner or later, what you think. <laughs> Women do that. Yes, they they use their uh, intellect to interpret their feelings. Now, I think the truth is that men do it, too. It's just that women claim claim that talent. Anyway... Lately, there's this terrific consciousness raising, and it's going on everywhere. It's a profound step towards world wisdom. I think that, uh, yes, we see that all sentient beings are pretty much, let's say, our brothers and sisters. They are ourselves as well. Uh, we are all of us a part of the whole. Now, for for the moment, you know, we must beware of some of the absurd extremes humans go to. The horrific stuff, uh, a lot of films and stories about the, let's call it the massacre, the savage horrors, what we do to animals in slaughterhouses, so forth. Uh, oh, fishing, never mind, never mind. Uh, at the other extreme, there are people who use animals as their children. You know, uh, I don't know whether we should be spending, uh, what is it, uh, life savings 
on a little animal that is, you know, leaving the world, but to each his own. Uh, I think that a pet or, uh, let's see, a, a friend, animal friend, should be treated with all the respect due to a fellow creature, yes. But all these fashion shows and uh, theatrical endeavors are just shameful. Uh, I keep thinking that that doesn't show the animals, uh, what is that foolishness? It shows the indignity that the humans have placed on <laughs> these little creatures with their hats and bows. Anyway, uh, human beings spend fortunes on their little pets and uh, I think of the money being, well, I wouldn't say wasted, but uh, think how it could help the uh, well-being of so many other animals. I mean, the vet bills alone keep poor people like me from even owning a little dog, as my favorite animal activist pal tells me. We must keep them or kill them. No choice. Either do the ethical thing or put them down. Uh, it's very difficult to, you know, keep animals in an urban environment and do the right thing by them. Uh, I suppose it would be ethical to take a little animal and, uh, what is that, surrender them to a shelter. That's probably the kindest thing, uh, they might have a chance, I think, of all of those who have to stay in those horrible cages for months. Anyway, uh, I know some people who still think it's okay to release pets, you know, let them survive any way they can. They take them out to the woods and just uh, set them free. Boy, that's irresponsible in the extreme diseases. Uh, you know, little children get hurt. Uh, long story there. We know that this century is going to be crucial for animals. Mass extinction is really, truly a fact. Habitat shrinking every day, large mammals threatened by global warming, and uh, just their very size, you know. Uh, not just the polar bears, but all the Arctic animals and Nowhere to survive. Those great cats may find their only homes are in the zoo. It's true that animal activists have persuaded the circus folks to stop exploiting so many creatures, elephants especially, uh, so-called exotic creatures. Uh, oh, my guess is that the 20th century was the best of times. And the worst of times, yes. And that's coming again, 21st century, I think. I don't even like to think. I feel, I feel that we must get ready and do anything we can. Uh, I guess zoos and protected habitat will be useful. The oceans <laughs> are not just problematic. They are a challenge. When did challenge become a euphemism for problem? Anyway, humans may be meeting similar fates. Seven billion of us now. Protected places with high-tech living that will happen along with, uh, let's call them slums, <laughs> like Mumbai, uh, 
private affluence right up against public squalor. So, so fascinating. Watch the show Vice on HBO if you want to see what's going on in Mumbai. Uh, super, super modern, gorgeous castles plunked right down in the center of the favela in Mumbai. A sight for sore eyes indeed. This has been Jennifer Stone. It's National Poetry Month, and next Tuesday I should try to do something about the poets. Bless them. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. There's your picture. Drop the ways of looking at the death penalty, says Archbishop Desmond Tutu, is a deeply moving account of why an abominable practice, the death penalty, should be abolished. He's describing the new book by Italian journalist and legislator Mario Marazziti, who will soon be here from Rome. On Wednesday evening, April 15th at 7.30, he'll speak at the Hillside Club, 2286 Cedar Street in Berkeley. There is wheelchair access at this KPFA benefit. It will be hosted by Matt Cherry, Executive Director of Death Penalty Focus. Other sponsors include Northern California ACLU and Amnesty International SF. Tickets are at brownpapertickets.com and supportive bookstores. Find more info on the KPFA website for April 15th. Mario City, coming from Rome. You could certainly make it from the Bay. And good afternoon. You're listening to 94.1 FM, 